Good morning. As Cassie said, our scripture reading comes from Genesis 43, verses 1 through 14. Now when the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me, bl- then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Let us pray. God of heaven and earth, by your Son and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, we come before your throne and before your storehouse as beggars in need of provision. And so, Lord, we thank you that you provide. We thank you that you sovereignly work out circumstances, Lord, in order to meet our needs daily, weekly, yearly. Uh, Lord, we pray for Beak and for his ministry. We pray that you would continue to allow him to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove, that he would uh, be granted favor with the authorities that are there in order for him to continue in his ministries, and that, Lord, you would just, as you are, provide for him um, as you can and as you will. Uh, Lord, we pray for Pastor Lance this morning as he preaches the word. We pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, that he would speak with clarity and sincerity, and that, Lord, you would um, give us eyes and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Thank you. Y'all didn't know that Trader Joe's was in Genesis, did you? It's right there, the pistachio nuts, the Whole Foods. Pick it up on the way and bring it to them as a gift. And if you would like to bring Trader Joe's to our house, you let me know. We will make sure that we are home. All right, all that to say, I finally got my Bible open and we're ready to go. So we're in Genesis 43, uh, 44 and 45. So we're covering a big chunk of scripture right now. We are um, actually on the home stretch. This is, um, I don't know, the third to last sermon that we have on Genesis. And so in order to get from Genesis 43 to 50, Uh, We've got to cover some big chunks. Now, like I said last week, when we started this particular part of Scripture, uh, really, this is like Genesis 42 all the way to 50. It's one big episode 
um, and one long conversation between he and his brothers and eventually with Joseph's father, Jacob. So just as a recap, if you remember last week, since we are in this big conversation, what we talked about last week in Genesis 42 is the God of testing. What kind of a God would test us along the way in our journey? You remember this? Okay, wow. Just so you know, I'm super goofy today, and if y'all can't talk back a little bit today, I'm just going to do all the talking. We'll be here through lunch and maybe until the Astros game. So we're going to need a little help today. What'd you say? Okay, good. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Um, okay. He tested his brothers, right? And, and, and it was G- Joseph uh, tested his brothers. It was a symbol or a sign that this is a good way that God, in fact, tests his people. And what was Joseph testing? He was wanting to see, and he continues to do that in the text today, he wanted to see if his brothers had changed. In 20 years since they sold him into slavery, had they changed in any way? Had they grown? Had they matured? And so the first test was to, was to imprison Simeon. And to give them money along the way, if you remember this from last week. Would his brothers be a, a, a band? Or would they just be a bunch of individuals keeping up after themselves like they were in the past? And of course they prove, when they come back for Simeon now, that they are a band of brothers. They are changing along the way. They have thought about what they did to their brother Joseph, although they don't know it's Joseph yet. Not until we unpack verse, uh, chapter 45, which we'll do in a moment. So would they leave Simeon and take the money, and of course they will come back for him. There are signs of maturity in 42, but Joseph remains unconvinced. I want you to think about this. He's sent his brothers, he's imprisoned Simeon, and Simeon is in jail for like a year. And Joseph does not reveal himself to Simeon. I don't know what that would have been like for you and your uh, siblings, but... Either I'm going to make it hard for them or I'm going to make it super easy for them to be like, hey, now that they're gone, you should come with me to the palace, check these things out. Look at this place. But he doesn't do that. He leaves them in jail because the test is on and it continues uh, to go, right? Joseph remains unconvinced and they want to know, will they bring, again, with the dreams in his mind that the entire household of Jacob must bow down to him, when will they bring their brother Benjamin? In the backdrop of all this, backdrop of all this is this severe famine. The famine, as we know, according to the dreams, will last seven years. We're now about two years into this, into this severe famine, and it says it was severe. So not only is Joseph doing some testing here, but what also is on display is God's character. You see, God had made a promise to Jacob's family. God had made a promise to Abraham's family long ago that the descendants of Abraham would become mighty nations on the earth, and this famine, which we learned last week, was summoned from the Lord, is now basically testing the promises of God. Will they become mighty nations on the earth, or will they die in the famine? And that's also what's kind of rumbling in the background here for Moses' first readers, right? The famine is severe. The grain that they got from their first uh, trip to Egypt has run out, and things are becoming desperate. I don't know what your life is like, but perhaps the provisions for the day have run out, and you're becoming desperate. Where will you go? Where are you going to go in your most desperate, dark, disorienting moments throughout this next week? 
The brothers will tell us, though it is uncomfortable, though it is difficult, we must go to where there is provision. So last week, we looked at this God of testing that he is, and our first point was that God knows and controls, basically, all things and all people. One theological word to wrap all that up is sovereignty, that God is sovereign. And that can scare many of us because we don't often talk about the better part of sovereignty or the comforting part of sovereignty. Yes, he's big. Yes, he's control, in control of all things. Yes, he's the Lord and ruler, and he reigns. And that's sovereignty, but there's also providence. Providence is, a, is just a big word for God's fatherly provision for his people. It can be a daunting subject. As a matter of fact, John Piper wrote a book called Providence, and they gave it to us. We went to an Acts 29 conference a couple of weeks ago, Josue and I, and they gave that big book to us um, as a gift to those pastors that like to read. And I left it in the hotel room for those that would clean up after us when we left. It was so big, I was like, I will not fit that in my carry-on. I love John Piper. I will look it up later when it becomes free online. I'm also not going to read it because it's really big. <laughs> Providence. It is a big subject, so I can't, I can't tackle it all today. It can be daunting, but let's simplify it to say it is God's fatherly provision for his people. And that's ultimately what's going on in the background here is a beautiful picture of providence. And what I want to do, I want to summarize these three chapters in five uh, easy parts, just five. And then we're going we're gonna to unpack them with four points, okay? It, you're thinking there's no way that's going to happen in the next hour and a half, and that's true. That's true, but we're going to get there. Okay, so look, here's the deal. Here's the, here's the five easy parts of 43. We didn't read them all, but it's just come with me here. I'm going to summarize them as we go, because ultimately I want you to see the fruit of providence. I want you to see that seeing God the way that they saw God, it's going to matter in your life. It's going to bear fruit in your life. But before we get there, let's summarize. So chapter 43, 1 through 14, right, is this first part where ultimately you see the setting, you see the problem being presenter, presented of this severe famine ultimately rolling in the background, and the brothers must return to Egypt for grain. They have to. And what you finally see here is that Jacob is entrusting his family, his baby boy, Benjamin, which as we unpacked last week is about 25 years old, his baby boy is now finally being released into the care of God Almighty. Right there in verse 14, right? If I am bereaved, I am bereaved of my children. I'm going I'm to entrust my children into God Almighty's hand. That is something that every parent must do, and there's no greater reminder of that than homecoming. Amen? At some point, my gosh, did that happen in our families? It did. At some point, we have to entrust our family into the hands of God Almighty. Jacob finally gets this, right? The second section of chapter 43 is 15 all the way down to 34, right? The brothers, here's what's happening right here. So they go back, and Joseph is like, okay, I'll let you guys go. They get back into Egypt, and when they're there, they get invited to a lunch by Joseph. And if you'll follow with me here in verses 29 through 34, this is what's going on at the lunch. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, Joseph, now seeing, laying his eyes on Benjamin for the first time in 20-something years. His mother's son, see the emphasis, and said, 
I was just your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me. Remember, he's still hiding behind the Egyptian mask. He still hasn't revealed himself as his, their brother. Oh, is this, is this your, your baby bro, the one that you guys told me about? Oh, God, be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered the chamber and wept there. And then he washed his face and came out because he can't be showing himself to his brothers yet. He doesn't trust them yet. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. Now check out what he does. And they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate by themselves Right, Because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the, to the Egyptians. Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in amazement. What did he do? Joseph sat down his brothers in birth order without asking them their birth order. So they're looking around going, hold up. What is going on right now? And then check out what Joseph does next. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's, Joseph's table. Good picture of the portion that you have in Christ being taken from your father's table. And look at what he does to those that he favors. That's you. We're all Benjamin in this point. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and they were merry with him. The Hebrew is they got fushnukud. It is they got intoxicated. They got drunk. They were merry. They were, they were relaxed. They were in a, 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 a familial setting all of a sudden with Joseph, right? And this is a great picture of us, but it is also a test. Joseph is wanting to know, how are you going to handle favoritism now? If I give all of Benjamin five times as much as you jokers, how are you going to handle it? And how they handled it? was they hung out and they became merry. We don't have time to go into commentary about if that's right or wrong in this situation, but this is what it says. So that's this next part, number three, 44, 1 through 17. I don't know what your heading says, but my heading says Joseph tests his brothers. What does he do? He sends them back, right? Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with foods. They got to go back. They got to do their thing. But in the youngest brother, put my silver cup in his sack. And when they go, track them down. And when you track them down, you tell them you deserve all of you to be imprisoned. And so they do this. And he tests them once again. And he's testing them once again to figure out, now that he's gained favor, now that I've shown I have favoritism towards Benjamin, will you turn your back on him now? You wouldn't turn your back on Simeon. Will you turn your back on Benjamin, who has been given more and more and more than you. And you find them passing the test in verse 13. Then they tore their clothes when it was found that Benjamin had the silver cup, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Verse 17, Judah is now speaking. Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand, the, uh, sorry, that's Joseph. Only the man whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Joseph is trying to release them. And then Judah in this fourth section, 18 through 45. Judah offers to stand in the place of Benjamin. And this final test, which the brothers pass, is too much for Joseph to contain his emotions. 
Judah goes up to Joseph, basically gives a recap of how they ended up in this situation, whispers in his ear, and now in verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, Judah speaking, and the boy is not with us then, as his life, Joseph, or Jacob's life, is bound up in Benjamin's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant and, your fa- and our father with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back to his, his bro- with his brothers. Judah is putting himself in the place of Benjamin, substituting himself for his brother, something that was never done before. Instead, it was condemnation for the favored one. And now Judah, the one that had the idea to sell Joseph, 20 years later, is now standing in the place of young Benjamin, making a pledge for his life. The final and fifth section here, 45, 1 through 15. Joseph's emotions finally burst forth as it is now clear. His brothers are different men than they were 20 years ago. And they indeed do love their father and their brothers. Look at what it says in verses 1 through 5, and then we'll get to the points. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried. He said, make everyone get out of here. No Egyptian must see what's about to happen next. So now no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. Could you imagine yourself being a brother in that, in that banquet hall? Could you imagine yourself going back in, having been caught with a silver cup, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, what is about to happen now? Why is this dude crying? Why is he weeping like crazy? He wept aloud so the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. What would you have thought their response was in that moment? I'd have been, if I was one of them, gone, oh, crud. You're who? And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? All these questions about my, your father. Is he okay? Is he doing okay? Now it's all starting to click and make sense. But his brothers could not answer him. Well, yeah, for they were dismayed at his presence, a.k.a. shocked, don't know what to do with their lives. Is he going to kill us? What's about to happen next? If our brother Joseph, the one we sold, the one we betrayed, the one we condemned, the one we deserted, is now ruler over all of us, and he holds the keys to our lives, what is he going to do? What would you expect him to do? Better yet, what would you do? And This all plays in the background of what is a very providential God who is working out, not just knowing all things, but now working out all things for his children. That's the summary of providence, right? It's Father's providential care provision for his people. And in the background of all this is care. It's providence. So as we look at God's providence, I just want you to see the fruit of it. As we look at God's care for his people in this particular passage, what is it that we can see? What is it we can learn from as we look at the characters in the story? The first fruit that I think we can look at 
when we look at providence, we look at God's fatherly care for his people, is that if you will truly believe in God's providence, you will have a deeper trust in God's character. We talk a lot about sovereignty. We talk a lot about God uh, being with us in the face of trial and in the valley. And as we go, we don't talk enough about his posture of being for us in those valleys, for us in the trials. You and I will only grow in our trust of God as much as we believe in God's fatherly provision for his children. We see trust deepening in the family of God through two ways. It's really a bookend, right? The first one is through Jacob's prayer in chapter 43, 14. May God Almighty, we've seen this word before, may El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, love that he says the all-sufficient one, grant you mercy before the man, before the guy that we don't know as Joseph yet. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Only a father who believes in God's sovereignty and providence can ultimately release their grip on their children and say, Lord, it's in your fatherly care of my children. And if you don't care for them in these moments, if some harm happens to them, then so let it be. If I am bereaved, then I am bereaved. If I, my gray hairs go down to Sheol, then let it be a mercy from you. Jacob pleads with God Almighty to be sufficient for him in the midst of the trial. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And Jacob has come to trust that even if harm comes to Benjamin, it is a mercy for Jacob. And there's the great chasm between what we read in the Bible and what we experience in our hearts that many of us, most of us, all of us will struggle with in these moments of difficulty, in these moments of surrender, in the moments of release, do we believe that come what may, it is God's provision for us? When our kids go to homecoming and they're out until one in the morning, if I'm bereaved, then I'm bereaved. When our kids leave the nest eventually, and they go off and they do crazy stuff, or they're not out of the nest and they're at home and they're still doing crazy stuff, if I am bereaved, let it be a mercy and a provision for my soul and theirs. You see how when we see God's bigness, sovereignty, and care, providence, our heart and our posture can change. Though we may suffer loss, we can see it as a severe mercy that God is giving us something in the midst of the loss. Though we may lose physically or material, God, through God's providence, we gain spiritually. We see this in Jacob's prayer, but we also see it in Joseph's plea. Because in Joseph's plea, at the end, in verses uh, 45, follow with me, we're going to have to flip around a lot today, 45, verses 5 through 8. I'll just read four through eight. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said to him, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Catch it now. You sold me into Egypt. He keeps going. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Why? 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. You sold me, but in God's provision, I I now see it that God sent me. Through, Through crazy suffering and your evilness, God worked that out somehow now to preserve life. He goes on to say this. God sent me here before you to preserve life. Verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me, there it is again, before you to preserve a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. That can only come through a big picture view of God's providence. That he's providing in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss, in the midst of pain, in the midst of uncertainty. He's not just, you're not just there to endure it. You're there to find ways that God is providing for you. So friends, if God allows suffering in you, in you, if he allows loss materially, physically, familially, and yet grows your soul's capacity for gratitude along the way, how does that change the journey? If he's truly for you and not against you. First thing we see, the first fruit is deeper trust in God's character. The second thing that we see is that we, we will find a patience for sanctification. A patience for sanctification. Y'all know what sanctification is? No? Cool. Let me define it for you. Sanctification is the lifelong process by which God makes us holy. The lifelong process. He says it's a lifelong process. It's not a, not a month-long process, not a year-long process, not a decades-long process. It's going to take longer than you think. Matter of fact, it's going to take your whole life, lifelong process to make you holy. Isn't that great? Isn't that good news that, you, that we're all on the same, we're all on the same path? It's going to take a lifetime. We can't take a shortcut. No one is here that's going, I'm going to nail it in 20 years. No, you're not. As soon as you think you've nailed it, you've just extended your stay for another 20 years. It is a lifelong process which makes us holy. It's not just to make us better. So friends, like the Christian community, God's word, God's spirit in us doesn't make us better people. Excuse me. Doesn't make us better people. He makes us holy. The standard by which God is going to judge us is nothing short of perfection. How are you living up to that? How am I living up to that? Not great. So there's, there's a standard here of perfection that which God then in his providence satisfies in his son Jesus and then he gives the gift of holiness perfection that is found in Jesus to all those who would believe it's called imputation I know I'm getting into the theological words I apologize he gives that to us for free by grace and then we are constantly being made new into the image of his son Romans 8 29 says this For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That process of conformation into the image of Jesus is this process of sanctification. That we would become more holy along the way. And the Bible says in Romans 12 that we were either being conformed to the pattern of this world or by the renewing of our mind conformed into the image of Jesus. And many times, in many days, and in many moments, it's both. feels like both. But in these moments that God enters in, we become more like Jesus. And if we are people that look at the providence of God, 
We will have patience for sanctification. Joseph, for 20 years, probably didn't have the patience that he had at the end of it as he did at the beginning. As he's sitting in jail for over a decade, that patience is being cultivated in him. The, the, the character that it took to be able to, 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 to speak with his brothers without punching one of them in the face, without jailing him and making it terrible for Simeon, or are actually exacting vengeance upon him. We don't know how long that took. We do know that according to the timeline, it's 20 years for this all to go down. That there is patience for sanctification. Joseph's reaction to heart change is a picture of God's heart when his kids grow over time. You saw it in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 43. I read it, but I'll just kind of mention it again here, right? Is this your youngest brother? And the minute that Joseph mentions grace, he's undone. God's be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out And he couldn't keep his life together because he sees God's grace on display that Benjamin is alive. He's been preserved. And surely this grand plan of God's providence, of his brothers bowing down to him for the reason of providing for the whole world, is coming true. I don't know what happens with you with God's grace, but at some point there's an undoing of your soul when you start to remember and we do communion, and we start thinking about the blood of the new covenant, which was perfect, the perfect lamb, which was spilled for a sinner like me, who defames the name of Jesus on the daily. And yet he knew it, and he came for me, and died for me, and purchased me, and then sealed me with the Spirit, and now lives within me, and corrects me, and encourages me, and you, through his word and through his presence. We don't deserve this. Oh, but in view of God's grace, we would be undone because we have now an understanding that God is ultimately patient with his people. May we be patient with ourselves. Which leads me to point three, fruit three. Not only will we have patience for sanctification, we will have motivation for forgiveness. Motivation for forgiveness is rooted in God's grace for you, and that is rooted in God's providence. Joseph's revelation of his identity was coupled with an invitation to believe that there truly is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember Romans 8, chapter 1? That's what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You remember what Jesus had to say? I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. You're already condemned. I came into a condemned world to save you out of condemnation. That's what John 3, 17 says. Our our kids just memorized that. To save you from condemnation, to, to, to pull you, to rescue you from the condemnation that you so deserve. So if we're in Christ, truly let it be said of us that we believe that there is no condemnation for me. There's no condemnation for you. The brothers' sins were that they condemned Joseph. They deceived him. They betrayed him. They abandoned him. They deceived their father than to believe that he was dead. And Joseph doesn't condemn them. He sits in the seat of power and uses that power to show kindness and forgiveness. Joseph reminds them, though you sent me, though you sold me, God is the one that sent me here. What releases a man or a woman from that kind of bitterness? What releases him? From exacting vengeance. 
only God's providence, that he realizes that God has been the orchestrator of all of this. And since he is released from that bitterness, he invites his brothers to not be angry or distressed with themselves. You remember, you just read that in 45.5. Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Not only am I not angry with you, you also don't be angry with yourselves. What a gift to give to your brothers and your sisters. That when you see them sin, do not be angry or distressed with yourself. Don't do it anymore. Don't, don't sell, sell your other brothers into slavery. Man, don't just let yourself up. God's grace is greater than your sin. Do we believe this, church? See, we, when you see the hand of God in all things, and that hand has a helping posture that is for you, you can more easily then forgive the sins of yourself and forgive the sins of others. So Halloween's coming around the corner, and some of y'all already have your Christmas decorations up, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually standing in condemnation of you, but that's okay. Um, against what Jesus says to do. But for real, there's a couple of holidays between now and then. Number one, you got Halloween, okay? So let's just not forget Halloween, the All Saints Day, as you, as you might know, the Reformation Day when Martin Luther changed the world, okay? Then there's Thanksgiving. Now, I don't know what you do on Thanksgiving, but if it's anything like mine in the past, you avoid those that just cause trouble. Joseph gives us a bigger vision of what your Thanksgiving dinner could be. Here's a vision of what your Thanksgiving could look like. You remember Joseph's brothers? You remember the pain that they've caused you in your family? Sure you do. You haven't forgotten. But look at what Joseph's brothers did in, in Genesis 37, verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him, oh, they loved, he had favoritism. More than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. In verse 8 of, 20, of 37. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And now in verse 15 of chapter 45, some 20 years later, Joseph fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And then Benjamin wept upon Joseph's neck and he kissed all of his brothers. It wasn't just Joe. It wasn't just Ben. Everybody come in here for a family hug. We got to get, get right. And wept upon them. And after that, his brothers, what did they do? They didn't hate his words anymore. They didn't hate him anymore. They talked with him. So many beautiful pictures of, our, of what could happen in our families if we have God's providence over all, that all these things helped us know Jesus perhaps for the first time, come to love Jesus along in the journey, and then be able to realize, man, I deserve far worse for what I've done to Jesus, much less what my brothers and sisters and family have done to me. May we extend grace. May we truly believe that there is no condemnation, first for myself, and then for others. When you mess up, what's your self-talk like? When you, when you crawl into the darkness and you do dark things in that dark place and then you crawl back out of the light, what's your, what's your self-talk like? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Or my gosh, I am still that way, aren't I? No, there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus when another believer sins against you, what is your response? Is it condemnation? Well, I've never done that. Is it, is it rooted in, in your own self-righteousness? 
Oh, but you do plenty of other things. Josue and I were on the way back from the airport a couple weeks ago, and there was a guy that had, like, had all over the back of his car that was like, no speeding, it's dangerous to speed. And then we went past him, speeding. And we peeked into his, his window, and he was all about no speeding, but he was on his phone. And I was like, well, we all got the net, all of us right there. We all got a thing we're passionate about. We're just not passionate about all the things in righteousness. That's all of us right there. When others disappoint us, what, what is our reaction? How dare you? That's condemnation. That's judgment. But it is, does not belong in the life of believer. And so, friends, if Jesus no longer condemns you, why do you condemn yourself? He has higher standards than you do. And yet he does not condemn you. The ministry that God has entrusted us to is not just no condemnation, but reconciliation. Now, let me give you a caveat here. Most of you are thinking right here, well, we, we just have to then go and get reconciled with everybody. Okay, so forgiveness is a one-way street. You have control over that. Joseph forgave long before his brother showed up. He tested him, and once they passed the test, reconciliation was available. Let's say they didn't pass the test. We don't know what would have happened. We don't want to speculate. But forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. As a matter of fact, just because we need to read it, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 say this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You will only embark upon the ministry of reconciliation insofar as you believe that you have been reconciled to God. Gospel-centered living is remembering how heinous I was before God. And he came and he reconciled this enemy of the cross and brought him around his family's table. And he says this, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world, this rebellious system, to himself. Well, how did he do that? You know what he quit doing through his son Jesus? He quit counting their sins, not counting their trespasses against them. Y'all ever count trespasses? That's one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us, friends, he's entrusted it to you. He's entrusted this to you, to the, the message of reconciliation. Joseph shows us that we are a people that have been reconciled and must then invite others into reconciliation. Here's the deal. Some of you are like going right now, you don't understand. You wouldn't say that if you would have experienced what I experienced. You're right. I haven't experienced what you've experienced. Jesus has, and that's the standard. He's calling us, he's entrusted us to the same type of reconciliation, the two-way street, that only we have control over one way. The other person, God has to do a work in them providentially. God will provide for that in his time. We can't rush it, and we also don't need to be lazy. But providentially, he'll get them working on their side of things to come towards you. And at some point, you meet your brother Esau in the wilderness, and you forgive ministry of reconciliation or forgiveness flows from believing God's promise of not being condemned for your own sin. And if God does not condemn you, may we not be a people who condemn others. I don't know about you, but I'm watching this very overrated um, series on uh, Amazon Prime called uh, Rings of Power. Anybody else? 
$100 million an episode or something, $10 million an episode. Anyways, they have a great quote. I am the only one watching this. <laughs> I forget the lady's name, the head elf. She's awesome. But she says this multiple times. You cannot satisfy thirst by drinking seawater. You cannot satisfy thirst by drinking seawater. Vengefulness, revenge is the seawater by which we all are trying to quench our thirst at one time or another. Final fruit is this beautiful picture of the gospel. If you follow the story, you saw Judah making a pledge for Benjamin's life, substituting himself for his brother in verse 9 of chapter 43. He does it again when he convinces Joseph uh, to keep him instead of Benjamin in verses 33 of chapter 44. He stands in the place of his brother. And your older brother, Jesus, has stood in the place of you substituting himself on the cross where you deserved to be. And yet he willfully stood in your place. We don't only see it in Judah, we also more, more fully see it in Joseph, who is the sovereign ruler of all of Egypt, who could have thrown his brothers in jail forever for betrayal, for condemnation, for all the sins that they committed against him. But instead, Joseph extends grace to his brothers, much like Jesus has extended grace to you and I. Though we wrongly condemned, deceived, betrayed, sold, and deserted Jesus, God, who is rich in mercy, extends his grace to us through our big brother, Jesus. See, God's hope for us is that we would come to love him friends, come to love him for his promise of providence, for his fuel for becoming more and more like Jesus. And if we're going to become more and more like Jesus, then surely we will more easily forgive our brothers and sisters. See, that kind of providence, that kind of care demands for us a response. And the first prayer that I've had this week in thinking about a response to providence isn't that you go and buy a book on providence. It is, though, that you would understand, friends, that not only that God is in control of all things, but in his control of all things, he is for you. I know many of the stories in here, and, and every single one of them, no, known or unknown by me, are all known by God and all littered and peppered with tragedy along the way. Would we be a people that believed all those tiny specks of darkness in our story are really specks of light that God is turning for good, for our good, and for his glory. And the second thing that I hope and pray is that we would be a people who are overcome by God's grace so deeply that we actually believe the kind of love with which he loves us. And we would be people that are compelled to love our brothers and sisters, and that is shown in forgiveness. This church is not perfect. We will disappoint you. We already have disappointed you. We won't show up. We'll probably say something sarcastically. We didn't mean it. Will you be a people that forgive one another? You see, all of life's relationships that matter, they last because you chose to forgive them along the way. Will we be a people fueled by God's providence to simply be a people of forgiveness and truly believe that God has entrusted us with the message and ministry of reconciliation. It's not just hard, it's impossible.
without the providence of God by his spirit who lives in you, who raised Jesus from the dead and lives in you to do these impossible things. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for providing for us. Thank you for not just putting standards before us that we might be perfect, but then gave us the gift of your son Jesus to be perfect where we couldn't be, to be forgiving where we wouldn't be, to exchange a hostile, enemy-like relationship for friendly, family-like relationship. May we be a people that get captured by this gospel of grace, by the mercy that you have dispensed through your son Jesus, not giving us what we deserve. We deserve to be jailed. We deserve to be pushed out. We deserve to die of a spiritual famine, but you have come for us. In the next week, we will see that the family of Jacob has to go into Egypt. They have to move. We have to go towards the house of provision. May we be a people that move towards you. Though we may have moments where we fall away, we have moments where we walk away, may we ultimately be a people that are captivated by your love and grace. So captivate us, O oh Lord. Where we've rebelled this week, where we're going to rebel this next week, would you remind us you love us far greater than whatever sin we have committed and that we're free. Free from shame, free from guilt, from the distress that we have put upon ourselves by acting poorly, not like a family. Remind us of the provisions at your table, O oh Lord. And draw us close. May we respond now through song in Jesus' name. Amen.